Hey, it's Mark. These days, you don't need to look very far to find references to Ozempic. Ads for the diabetes management turned off-label weight loss drug have jumped from TV to out of home, blanketing the New York City subway. Ozempic, having made the rounds in Hollywood, has graced the cover of magazines and turned up in comic monologues and organic social media posts, all of which speaks to what one analyst called the gold rush aura that surrounds these new medicines. This stems from their profound weight loss effects, the growing global prevalence of obesity, and the constant searching among diet-obsessed consumers. But what often gets lost in all the hype of taking GLP-1 drugs for weight loss is that long-term sustainable change requires alterations in lifestyle, like proper diet, exercise, and sleep. That's where weight loss and nutrition companies say they can play a role. These firms have found their business models disrupted by the popularity of drugs like Ozempic, Wagovi, and Mujaro. Dr. Kent Bradley, Chief Health and Nutrition Officer at Global Direct Selling Company Herbalife, is an MD, MPH, and board certified in public health. As the GLP-1 meds have grown in popularity, Bradley hasn't shied away from stressing the importance of eating healthy. He says people will slowly come to realize that even while taking a drug for weight loss, their focus should be, how is this improving my overall health? To that end, companies like his, which offers products including meal replacement shakes and bars and nutritional supplements, can serve as both an alternative and an adjunct as people use the new drugs to achieve their health goals. This week on the podcast, Jack O'Brien interviews Herbalife's Dr. Kent Bradley about the components of well-being that may be overlooked while taking a GLP-1 drug for weight loss, how a healthy diet may be able to counter some of their side effects, as well as how patient education needs to evolve to support this view. And Lesh is here with a health policy update. Hey, Mark, today I'll give an update on where the government spending deal stands to prevent a government shutdown by September 30th and the healthcare items that may be affected. And Jack, what's on tap on the healthcare social media front this week? This week, we're revisiting the growing Brotox trend, checking in on health developments related to the Bidens, and seeing what Aaron Rodgers had to say about Moderna sponsoring the U.S. Open. I'm Mark Iskowitz, Editor-at-Large, and welcome to the MMM Podcast, medical marketing and media's show about healthcare marketing writ large. Hello and welcome to the MMM Podcast. My name is Jack O'Brien. I'm the digital editor at MMM. I'm pleased to be joined today by Kent L. Bradley the Chief Health and Nutrition Officer at Herbalife. Dr. Bradley, how are you doing today? Hey, Jack. I am doing great. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, We're going to focus our conversation around something that's really been top of mind, not only on the show, but in the industry and broader society in general in the past few months, which is this kind of weight loss trend that we've seen with some of the GLP-1 drugs you know, different drugs are in the pipeline at various big pharma companies. And I kind of wanted to start there just from your own perspective, what you make of this craze. It's obviously nothing new, but it feels like it's taken on a whole different life in the past few months. Yeah, definitely. Uh, from a social media perspective, <laughs> it is uh, truly gone viral. Um, so what do I make of, uh, of this? Uh, you know, th- this is a drug, uh, a class of drugs, actually, right? When we think about GLP ones, I know your, your audience is, uh, uh, fairly educated in, in on this topic, and you've talked about it previously. Um, but this drug targets a receptor called the GLP-1 receptor, and then and these class of drugs have been around for about 15 years, specifically to support individuals who are who have type 2 diabetes, and um, and it just more recently uh, has really hit the hit the wires uh, in the last probably year and a half, two years, um, and. 
Uh, obviously, there's a, a lot to talk about, uh, and I'd love to dive deeper into it. Uh, but I think one of the key things to, to recognize is this drug is was intended use was was for people who were um, uh, dealing with diabetes and the mechanism of action that if you dig deeper from the headlines, you get a better understanding of, of uh, its multiplicity of effects. And I kind of want to go into that just because I think that there is one way that maybe the general public has been perceiving this as, oh, there's a new host of GLP-1 drugs out there. They're able to cut your weight significantly. You're able to fit back in those genes that maybe you hadn't worn in a few years. But like you said, it is made for a clinical purpose. Can you kind of dive into that? Because I feel like that's maybe a misunderstood aspect to you know this entire trend that we're seeing. Yeah, it all begins with understanding the physiology and, and, the, and the chemistry. Um, our body naturally makes and releases uh, the, the GLP-1 um, uh, hormone and it's part of our incretin system, our, our, our you know our internal system. Um, this hormone gets released when from the L cells in our gut, uh, whether it's the stomach, intestines, um, small intestines primarily, um, as a mechanism to then stimulate our body at various receptor sites. Our, our, and one area of keen interest was our uh, beta cells in our pancreas. So the use of it for uh, to support individuals who are diabetic, especially type 2 diabetes, was of, of extreme interest. We also know, however, that there's receptors around the stomach which delay gastric emptying and receptors uh, in the brain which uh, uh, have affected people's uh, sense of food and, and their sense of fullness. So um, the, the target around diabetes has, has also found that it also had a secondary effect of not only uh, supporting the pancreatic beta cells production of insulin, but also the, the loss of weight because people weren't eating as much. Um, and that now is the, the big focus area, right? People wanting to to lose weight because they're eating less. And, and I think we've, we've uh, also begun to blur um, what is the intended use of the drug? It was to improve people's health uh, in the treatment of a disease, diabetes. And um, as we look at how it's being used today, we have to ask, oh, is, the, is the result truly health, overall health and well-being? Um, uh, especially when people are using it to, to cut a few pounds and they're essentially starving themselves uh, to a certain extent, right? They're significantly reducing their caloric intake and not necessarily uh, giving their body the nutrients they need. And I'm sure you've seen stories about that too when it comes to maybe those, I won't say unintended side effects, they are side effects of the drug, but maybe people that aren't supposed to be using them. There's obviously been widespread off-label use for weight loss, people that you know aren't obese or don't have diabetes that are using these and suddenly, oh yeah, they're having gastrointestinal issues, they're having cardiac issues, there's been even some sort of reporting out of Europe about suicidal ideation. And I'm sure that's something that you know, it can be frustrating to you from the clinical side where it's like, yeah, these drugs are not being used by maybe the people that they're intended to be used by. And then we're getting all these stories about side effects that come along with it. Yeah, there's, there's a lot to, to be um, yet to learn from this the drug as more and more people use it from a, outside of the original intended target audience. I'm a public health preventive medicine physician, you know, I'm board certified in that field. And so I think of it from a from a public health perspective, I'm always for the most effective, least risk option to support all people, 
Um, and if we were to dial this back and go back just 30 years ago, um, in 2002, the New England Journal of Medicine reported a groundbreaking study. It was the Lifestyle Intervention Program uh, that's documented when compared to a drug, metformin, um, uh, lifestyle intervention could re- could successfully reduce weight and prevent the progression to diabetes. Now, the target was seven, 7% weight loss. And, uh, and the, the secondary target was prevention of, of progression to, to diabetes. And, and it showed that it actually was better than metformin, a drug, in, in achieving that objective. So fast forward, we, we know that lifestyle intervention, that a healthy active lifestyle, that proper nutrition is all uh, effective in reducing weight uh, at least to 7%. <laughs> you know, and so now we fast forward and we have a drug that now is you know, at eight, you know, 15% um, weight loss, so more rapid weight loss. But one of the things that gets missed in this is, is that how, how scalable to the masses are, are people on medication for the rest of life? And what are the unintended consequences? So I always look at the, the risk-benefit you know, I, I, from a public health, what is the, the greatest good for the uh, least risk? And whenever we're, we're talking about uh, a pharmacologic approach, um, that has to be a part of the conversation. I'm curious, too, because we focused the start of this conversation primarily on the clinical aspect and obviously the the responses that we've seen from individuals taking these class of drugs. But I kind of want to take a step back. Obviously, you are in the C-suite of a very well-known healthcare brand. You know, the likes of Novo and Eli Lilly in particular have had to deal with the increased demand for Wagovi, for Ozempic, for Mangero, and had to, you know, kind of recalibrate their marketing to meet that um, issues around uh, scarcity and supply issues. When it comes to a brand and marketing perspective, what do you make of that whole situation? Because I know that it's not necessarily something they're encouraging off-label use, but when they're saying, hey, this drug's available, people are naturally going to say, oh, is that for me? How can I get it? And then that drives the whole issue forward. Yeah, you know, the they, they are uh, in a position where the education on the proper use uh, is probably a big focus of theirs, right? Because I think they too know that there, this was meant for a particular intended audience. Um, it And it's not meant for individuals who want to... Uh, lose a quick 20 pounds to, to meet a particular objective within the next three months. Um, and it's really targeted for people who have uh, risk factors and, and uh, significant um, uh, headwinds to their ability uh, to achieve uh, their health objectives. Um, so we focus as a weight loss drug, but really the focus should be how is this improving my health where my excess body fat is contributing to a lot of the negative effects that the excess body fat causes. Um, and this is just one tool in the toolbox. Um, it's best supported with other tools like a lifestyle intervention, like uh, proper nutrition. The other thing about it from, you know, from their perspective is, is how do we get ahead of that and ensure that people are taking it uh, with that uh, the proper individuals are taking it that are in need of it, and how do we uh, educate them properly on the to minimize the risk? So the risk of uh, 
as it comes out, you know, the risk of muscle loss because a significant weight loss can also uh, be a loss, not just of body fat, but of muscle loss. So how do, how do we educate people on proper nutrition? Um, obviously Herbalife has a role to play in that, uh, from our company perspective, we, we, everyone has to eat and we believe that, that they should eat in a healthy way and, and get the nutrients they need, they need. And so that includes the protein for the muscle building exercise to support muscle building, but also all the micronutrients that they're going to need and the phytonutrients to support their gut health. So I think that, uh, that's a part of the educational responsibility. Um, I think, uh, when, when you're, um, uh, if I were in the shoes of those companies. I'm curious on that last point you brought up in terms of the downstream effects, because I think when people see these stories about, oh, there's a shortage of Ozempic and, you know, or Manjaro, and they look immediately, how does this affect Novo and Eli Lilly? But to your point, your organization, I imagine a lot of other healthcare organizations and companies down the line are dealing with the repercussions of patients saying like, hey, I want to go on Ozempic and lose that 20 to 30 pounds. But you're trying to also tell them too, like there's so much more to your health composition than just your, your weight. Absolutely. You know, it, and it's, uh, it, we don't want to feed into the, the narrative that is hyper-focused on uh, just how one looks, right? I mean, it, this is all, at the end of the day, how, how do we live our best lives and how do we uh, uh, have the kind of healthy lifespan we all want? Um, so supporting them, clearly the medications have a role to play for very specific uh, populations um, that ha- that are at risk, um, but at the end of the day, um, many people, if you ask them, they 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 don't want to be on any drug, <laughs> and then if they are on a drug, they 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 would like to stop taking the drug, and so um, behavior change, lifestyle intervention, making those commitments to um, healthy eating and active lifestyle and sleep and stress reduction, that's the, the those things are, are true no matter what. Um, so I think uh, having an understanding of how to incorporate that uh, in, a, in a healthy way, I, I'll give you an example, um, that very concrete example. We also know that there's delayed gastric emptying um, that can occur um, with this. And so if you're if you're eating a, a diet of a lot of fatty foods and then you're now on this medication, you know switching to uh, a more nutritious vehicle um, like uh, a shake could be very extremely helpful. Not only to give you the nut- nutrients in the uh, amount that might be more digestible for you, um, it also uh, perhaps prevents even some of the complications with that delayed gastric emptying that that has been also been reported in the news. So. I think that that uh, just having a better education of of how to solve the issues while you're on the medication so that you maintain your health is a critical component. And how do you address the issues when you don't want to be on the medication? (laughs) You know, how do you effectively have an off ramp is, is an important part of the conversation as well. 
Yeah, it's interesting to hear you talk about that kind of going back to the whole changing of behaviors where it's not you're going to be on Ozempic and then suddenly you're you're cured of whatever issues you've had around weight. It really does go down to deeper um, concepts with nutrition, with exercise, with lifestyle choices that, you know, for some people can be maybe the kick in the butt that they needed to be able to make those choices and make those changes. But for other people, you know, there are some deeper things that they actually need to work with, say, a nutritionist or a life coach to be able to you know, nail that down. Yeah. And I, I like the, that you, you mentioned the coach piece of it, because one of the, one of the things that when you look at what are the components of, of health and it's uh, in the form in which we, we think about living, living life to the full, you know, Aristotle had a, a unamania concept. This is like, at the end of the day, we all just want to have this, uh, this fullness of life. And, and um, clearly being able to uh, pre- prevent and support the kind of life we prevent disease, if you will, uh, is, is a, the, or prevent the things that are going to cause us to um, not be able to live life to the full is, is, a, is, a, is a part of that, uh, you know, strategy and goal. But also, um, so eating well, exercising, those lifestyle changes. But living life to the full also meaning means what are the relationships we have? You know, uh, uh, loneliness is a critical component in 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 uh, in one's well being. If we were to look at all the studies about healthy aging and what really helps us in uh, after the age of fifty, there's a huge study that was done on that. Uh, the 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 quality of your relationships, the community that you're a part of, uh, the uh, the the learning uh, that you can do to stimulate your mind, um, in addition to the reduction of stress, the effectiveness of sleep, um, these are all components holistically that people also uh, should be thinking about as they as they also look at that one component of of weight. Uh, because at the end of the day, it is about living life to the full, I think. And so the coach piece is very important, as well as the community, the coach to help you identify maybe those barriers to support you in helping you navigate um, how to achieve that more holistic um uh, objective uh, and identify specific areas that you could be working on, but also the community to help help support, enrich, edify uh, you, um, and help keep accountability um, are, are are key components as well. Which which in a binary of a of a of a prescription, and I take the prescription, it's, it's obviously not going to fulfill any of those other aspects, right? It, it, it really takes a lot more than, than that. Dr. Bradley, I've really enjoyed having you on the show here and being able to cover what has been a very interesting and, you know, roller coaster ride as it relates to GLP-1s <laughs> and the weight loss trend. I, we're coming into the last quarter of 2023, and obviously there's a lot of momentum that some of these companies have. I know Eli Lilly just uh, released data recently about Reditutride, which is probably the most powerful weight loss uh, drug candidate out there. I know that Boehringer Engelheim is advancing a couple more uh, for advanced studies. As you look ahead to where this all goes forward, and I don't even want to use the word craze anymore because it does seem like it's going to be a, a whole new area of research and of medicine. What are your thoughts on that? Maybe what does our audience need to keep in mind as we start to see more developments down the line? Yeah, it's, it's a great point. Um, 
Look, the, the advance has really been around, and this is critical, the, the understanding of these, these receptors and the agonists and the ability, ability to sustain the, the availability of that agonist. So they're going to find um, that keeping this GLP-1 circulating longer to stimulate the receptor is, is going to be the target. And how you do that is where the advances are going to continue to, to go on. I think what we're going to find, though, is that there uh, we will begin to see with more and more people what are the uh, unintended consequences, both good and bad. Um, uh, look, when, when the drug was first started, the target around the receptor, around the beta uh, cells of the pancreas showed unintended consequences around weight loss and other areas, um, which was a good, but there will also be some, some negative unintended consequences. And so I think there's a lot to be understood, but I do think it's going to be uh, mainstream. What we should be thinking about is how do we, how do we think about this like uh, other drugs that have come into the marketplace to focus on a particular area, like our cholesterol or, or like our high blood pressure. Um, the fact is, is that um, uh, two things to think about. One, um, the reality of life and the fact that we have certain things that we need no matter what, like good nutrition, exercise, community, social support, none of that goes away and in fact becomes integrated into um, what uh, these drugs have to offer in order for them to be effective and to minimize the downside risks. Um, the second piece as, as this moves, moves forward is understanding that um, I liken it to my brother who's an eye doctor. He um, we thought LASIK surgery was going to make him become, uh, he's, an, he's an optometrist, not an ophthalmologist, that he would become irrelevant. Um, in fact, he became needed even more because of the fact that people had to be screened. So only certain individuals really should get the LASIKs and, the, and people after the LASIK surgery still needed support. And so there is a potential, uh, just, I can give you example, example of, of opportunities that became, uh, prevalent, um, because of that market as that market matures, there are going to be, uh, support mechanisms, marketplaces that then get created, uh, because of that particular innovation. So uh, I think the, I think we're going to see how this all comes uh, full circle and, uh, the other opportunities that we haven't even talked about that we don't even realize that will be created because of this way in which people are approaching the role that GLP ones play in our health and well-being. Well, Dr. Bradley, you've given our audience quite a bit to think about as we enter this brave new world of GLP-1s and, and weight loss options. But your points are well taken in terms of the new opportunities that will be out there. And obviously, for the marketers that are in our audience, I'm sure they're just racking their brains right now in terms of what that could be for them. So really appreciate you coming on the show and being able to outline that for us. Well, great. Uh, great to be here. Thanks, Jack. I appreciate all that you do in, in support of getting messages out and better understanding.
Health Policy Update with Lesha Bouchak. Last week, the White House asked Congress to pass a short-term spending bill in order to avoid a government shutdown by the end of September. There are a few health care items that could be impacted. For one, the White House wants the spending deal to include $3.7 billion for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services to keep the Medicaid marketplace running and help with eligibility verifications. If a spending package isn't passed, it could also impact how the federal government rolls out a fall COVID-19 and flu plan, including vaccination campaigns and efforts to curb outbreaks. But it'll also impact the fate of the president's emergency plan for AIDS relief, or PEPFAR, a program that dictates the U.S. government's global HIV and AIDS relief work. Reauthorizing the program might be especially difficult this year, given that Republican lawmakers have argued that the $7 billion given to PEPFAR each year goes to abortion providers. Led by Republican Representative Chris Smith, a group of conservatives are pushing against renewing the program until the Biden administration reinstates anti-abortion restrictions for the program. Those restrictions would prevent organizations receiving PEPFAR funds from providing abortions. As lawmakers return to Congress this month following their summer break, these health care items remain up in the air as they try to piece together the bipartisan spending package by the end of the month. I'm Lesha Bouchak, senior reporter at MMM. Social media, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, social media update. Jack, this is the time on the broadcast when we ask what's trending on healthcare social media. Yeah, Mark, since the last time we recorded our episode, we've unfortunately had a few notable losses. We lost Jimmy Buffett to a rare form of skin cancer, lost Bob Barker to Alzheimer's disease, and we saw Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell suffer another freezing episode. Though an attending physician said he does not have a seizure disorder, nor did he have a stroke, TIA, or movement disorder such as Parkinson's disease. Additionally, Celine Dion's sister said that the singer is putting all of her effort into beating a rare neurological disease, stiff person syndrome, though she acknowledged there's very little that can be done to ease her pain. But all of that aside, we need to go to the story of the summer, which is Barbie. The movie has influenced more than carefully curated pink outfits and conversations about feminism. The film has also spurred a wave of interest in certain forms of cosmetic procedures and is even adding to the rise in men seeking Botox, also known as Brotox. Barbie Botox, a procedure that involves injections to the trapezius muscles in the shoulders to create the impression of a longer neck, has recently gained traction among young women and gone viral on TikTok. There's also been a rise in general plastic and cosmetic surgeries that aim to take advantage of the Barbie hype by offering the, quote, Barbie makeover plastic surgery. Many of these packages claim that they'll have patients' facial features look as flawless as the doll, along with a conventionally appealing body shape. The Barbie-inspired plastic surgery may be felt most among young women, but more and more men are seeking cosmetic procedures and aren't immune to social trends. Plastic surgeons on TikTok are aiming to take advantage of the hype, with some even sharing videos of Ken getting Botox or calling rhinoplasties, quote, Ken doll noses to advertise the procedures. And Lesha, you noted in your article about this that it really ties into the larger trend that we've talked about on the show of cosmetic procedures being quite popular among young people. But specifically among young men, they're kind of looking at this and saying, maybe I don't necessarily need to look like Barbie, but I can look like Ken. And as you noted so aptly, you can be ken yeah, I, I know we've discussed, uh, you know, this rise of cosmetic procedures before on the podcast, um, and we're definitely seeing another uptick kind of spurred by the Barbie uh, hype. Um, but in terms of 
Botox among men or quote unquote Brotox, um, you know, according to the American Society of Plastic Surgeons, which kind of tracks the, the number of these procedures being done each year. Um, the number of cosmetic surgery and non-surgical procedures like Botox rose like about 30% among men between 2000 and 2018. Um, and that's only been rising since then. So we probably expect to see higher numbers when they release their, their latest numbers there. Um, and that's really evident on TikToks. If you just search hashtag Botox, you'll just see thousands of videos coming up of men getting the procedure done. Um, and other plastic surgeries as well, like rhinoplasties, as you mentioned, the Ken doll nose. Um, so you're really seeing a lot of plastic surgeons on TikTok as well, trying to take advantage of the, the you know, the Barbie hashtag being very popular right now and saying, we're going to offer procedures in these packages that help make you look like a Ken or a Barbie. And will, I guess, make you feel better about yourself. So it's really interesting to see um, all these, you know, cosmetic and, and plastic surgeons kind of using that as like a marketing channel on TikTok. I think it's really interesting that people are going for the Ken doll nose and not for Ryan Gosling's abs <laughs> from the movie. That was the one takeaway that I had from watching all the Ken scenes. I'm sure there are some men who are, are trying to get the, the Ryan Gosling abs uh, for sure. Unfortunately, there's no procedure for that yet, but once it is available, I will be first in line. Mark, I wanted to bring you into the conversation here just because we've talked a lot about the rise in cosmetic procedures, and it's interesting to see you know, that taking place among men. Historically, it's always been among young or older women, but obviously plastic surgeons and cosmeticians are looking into you know, this as a rising trend that's boosting their business. So, um, you know, uh, loved uh, your article, by the way, uh, Lesha, especially the uh, the TikToks uh, uh, showing men, uh, excuse me, Ken, you know, in the uh, in the chair getting their uh, uh, the rhinoplasties. But some of the articles I've read uh, talk about this uh, trend, uh, which is also uh, called trap tox, you know, getting these trapezius muscles uh, injected. Uh, there, there are obviously side effects to that that one needs to be cognizant of depending on which neuromodulator, you know, one uses, whether it's Botox or Zeomin or one of the others. Uh, but uh, the effects apparently of, of when we're talking about trap tox can last many months. Uh, and if too much, um, is, is injected. Uh, I heard or read one uh, dermatological surgeon say it can possibly leave people with a weakness in the neck, uh, which can affect their ability to, to lift their head. So it's it's something that you know you need to look into uh, on, in terms of the risks and benefits. And these these procedures aren't cheap. You know we haven't really talked about cost that much, uh, but they can run anywhere from five hundred to, to three thousand um, dollars. And um, you know if, if someone's obviously using it in a therapeutic way, you know because they're having a, cr a creak in the neck or pain. That's one thing, but just for aesthetics, you know, might, might make somebody think twice. Um, and so, you know, as, as with any treatment, one needs to weigh the cost versus the, the reward for that. Uh, but again, kudos uh, to our resident TikTok uh, turn beauty writer, Lesha, for this uh, awesome uh, story. So our next segment is what I like to call the Biden healthcare corner. Over the weekend, First Lady Jill Biden tested positive for COVID-19 and is experiencing mild symptoms, according to the White House medical personnel. She's remaining at the Biden family home in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, while President Biden, who tested negative, has returned to the White House and is wearing a mask around others. The White House added that it hasn't changed its COVID protocols or the president's schedule in light of the news. This is also the second time that the First Lady has tested positive for COVID, as she had it last July and was treated with Paxlovid. In other news, President Biden chirped at Pharma on X, formerly Twitter, 
days after the administration announced the first 10 drugs selected for the Medicare price negotiations. The lobbying group had tweeted, quote, what White House isn't telling you is that they're giving a single government agency power to arbitrarily set medicine prices with little accountability, oversight, or input from patients and their doctors, with consequences long after this administration is gone. Biden then, quote, tweeted the message and wrote, you folks ever heard of a mirror? To cap it off, Farmer was hit with a community note with readers adding context, quote, the Inflation Reduction Act does not give the power to set medication prices. Instead, it permits the government to negotiate over prices for selected drugs. These negotiations are also specific to Medicare coverage only. And finally, a plastic surgeon, kind of tying it with our Brotox story from earlier, has alleged from his own analysis that President Biden has dropped six figures on various plastic surgery procedures, including a face and brow lift, as seen in a viral Instagram video. There's a lot of different threads to pull on here. Obviously, I think we're sending our best wishes to the First Lady, and it's another reminder that this latest variant of COVID is still causing trouble for some people in terms of uh, having breakthrough cases. But it was really interesting to see Biden, and I don't think it was the president himself, but certainly his team using social media to counteract the public pressure from pharma as it relates to the Medicare price negotiations, which we've been covering in depth on our website. Yeah, it actually kind of just reminded me of something Mark said offline about how pharma lobbying groups have sort of lost their power that they had historically had in Congress um, when it comes to sort of fighting some of these drug pricing regulations, um, which sort of led to, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act being passed last year. And so groups like pharma now are resorting to, uh, you know, attacking President Biden on Twitter or I guess X, um, and it's you know interesting to see it play out there. They also have launched lawsuits against the federal government, so there are some legal challenges happening right now, um, and we'll we'll see what happens there. But from what I understand, I spoke with a lawyer about this last week, but um, he basically said these pharma lobbying groups and several different pharma companies have launched lawsuits. Um, all of them kind of exploring a different constitutional argument against why uh, the Medicare negotiations are, quote unquote, unconstitutional. Um, but it'll be a while before we see any decisions made um, with those lawsuits. Um, so it's interesting to see pharma kind of resorting in the meantime to kind of, uh, you know, uh, attacking Biden on Twitter and, and seeing that play out. And it's interesting kind of fighting in the court of public opinion, like you say, Lesha, because I think getting hit with a community note is probably one of the more demeaning things to happen on Twitter and to see readers coming out and basically saying like, hey, it's not the government instituting a price. They're going to be negotiating with these drug makers and kind of setting the record straight, if you will. Mark, what is your take on you know all of this? Yeah, no, thanks, Jack. I, I love it when you refer to that getting hit with a community note, because that's exactly, you know, what it is. It's, uh, you know, uh, X, formerly known as Twitter, kind of deeming through its algorithm that, that additional context is needed. Uh, and, you know, it kind of implies that uh, the, the tweet was uh, was one dimensional, one sided, what have you. But, um, in, you know, as Lesha pointed out, it's unclear whether the newly negotiated prices will be much lower than what Medicare already pays for them. Um, and I think reading a lot of analyst reports, as, as the three of us have over the last couple of weeks since the 10 negotiated drugs uh, were announced, um, a little bit early. Um, it se seems like it was largely as expected, a few surprises in there. Um, but, you know, like, uh, again, um, from Lesh's article, she points out that uh, Merck's Genuvia, which is on the list, is going to uh, 
uh, headed for a loss of exclusivity sometime in 2026, which is the same year the new negotiated prices go into effect. And I heard one analyst call that sort of like the height of, um, you know, government waste, you know, like they're going to go through this whole haggling and negotiation process just for the, you know, to have a negotiated price on the books for a few months before it goes generic anyway. The other thing that we're looking at, and uh, Jack, you know, I'm, I'm working on this uh, for this week is kind of analyzing the first 10 drugs by their media spend. And one of the things that we're seeing um, in the data is that some of the, the products, um, because analysts had kind of anticipated them based on, on their uh, exposure to Medicaid costs, were going to be on the list. Some of them had seemed, seemed to have anticipated that and reduced their media spend uh, the first half of this year accordingly. So we're, we're going to be looking at that, you know, uh, the effect on pharma marketing. So that's something that people can uh, keep a lookout for later this week, hopefully. Exactly. If there are two things that keep giving to our coverage, it's what we talked about with Dr. Bradley in this interview with weight loss drugs, but also the Inflation Reduction Act and what that's going to mean downstream for all aspects of the farm industry. So more to come on that front. Absolutely. Our third story of this week is probably my most favorite coverage area, which is Anytime that I can talk about pharma and football, the most competitive matchup at the U.S. Open this year is not on the court, but rather in the stands. On Sunday, New York Jets quarterback Aaron Rodgers attended Novak Djokovic's match and posted an Instagram story praising the tennis star's refusal to get the COVID-19 vaccine. The image's caption read, Bucket list, being able to witness the greatness of at Novak Djokovic in person at hashtag Arthur Ashe Stadium, hashtag Novax Djokovic. He also used a red line to cross out the logo of Moderna, which recently re-upped as a corporate sponsor for the annual tennis tournament. In addition to its Here's to the Changemakers campaign ad honoring the legacy of Arthur Ashe, Moderna has an above-brand advertisement encouraging attendees to stay up-to-date on their seasonal vaccines, as well as its 30-second No Time for 19 ad airing on ESPN. I recently spoke with Moderna Chief Brand Officer Kate Cronin, who told me that the timing of the U.S. Open which occurs just before people are set to receive their annual booster shots for COVID-19 and the flu, makes the event an important one to advertise that. She said, quote, it's an opportunity to, she said, quote, it's an opportunity to engage in a fun way with consumers. So you're not lecturing them. You're not scaring them, but you're engaging in a sporting event that everyone loves. The 2023 edition of the competition marks Jokovic's first time competing at the U.S. Open since 2020, as he refused to be vaccinated against COVID and was subsequently barred from entering the country under pandemic-era guidelines. And obviously, this is not Rogers' first COVID-related controversy. We've discussed those previously on the show, but to give you a quick recap... In 2021, when asked if he had received a COVID-19 vaccine, Rogers answered that he had been, quote, immunized. Subsequently, he tested positive for COVID-19 and missed 10 days, including a game against the Kansas City Chiefs due to the league's COVID-19 policies for unvaccinated players. Earlier this year on the Pat McAfee show, he complained about Big Pharma's supposed role in the change of his public reputation and newfound villain status. Now, I could say a lot about the New York Jets. I've said as much on the show previously, but I want to throw it to Lesha and then you, Mark, in terms of where this controversy goes from here. You know, it's interesting to see. Obviously, Moderna has had a kind of corporate takeover of the U.S. Open and their branding is everywhere if you watch any of the matches. But this was just about as predictable as it comes. Aaron Rodgers has been a man about town in the New York City area. And this was kind of inevitable, if you ask me. Yeah, you know, my my first thought actually kind of went to um, 
you know, the the general decreased demand for COVID-19 vaccines that we've seen in the last like year or two, because there's always going to be the anti-vax voices out there and celebrities who are anti-vax and kind of uh, spreading potentially misinformation about vaccines. Um, we're always going to see uh, those celebrities doing that. Um, but I'm curious to see whether um, the the pandemic is going to be bad this this fall if people are going to get their booster shots and get the the updated vaccines from these pharma companies um you know we we've seen a lot of pharma companies citing a, a lack of demand for the covid-19 therapeutics and the vaccines in in the last year or two um so it'll be interesting to see whether um, moderna for example is getting that demand for for the vaccines this fall um, I don't know if if Kate Cronin spoke to that at all, uh, Jack, when you when you spoke with her. She didn't talk about the um, demand issues. And it's actually interesting that we're recording today because Moderna just released information that shows that it's updated booster is effective against this latest variant, which seems to be causing a lot of breakthrough cases. I am supposed to speak with her in the coming days for a interview that will air within the month. So I'll be interested to ask her in terms of maybe what that impact will be on their bottom line. I know to your point, Lesha, whether it's Moderna, Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, a lot of these drug makers are looking at that drop off in COVID demand and wondering what the next pivot is. You know, they've obviously put a lot of research and development and, you know, sales dollars behind putting these vaccines out there. But will there be the same demand that we saw last year that we saw in 2021 for the boosters? I think that remains to be seen. Mark, I'm curious because you've obviously been watching the industry for a long time and this is the first, you know, pandemic era that we're coming out of, but obviously, you know, they've put a lot of money into these vaccines and there is a public health aspect to it as well. Yeah. Thanks, Jack. And I, I really liked your story, by the way, and, and, you know, sort of Moderna re-upping its commitment to the U.S. Open. You can't argue with that timing, you know, of uh, wanting to put the word out there before the, the vaccine season gets underway. Um, and this is a, a great venue for it. You can just imagine people in the stands, you know, seeing the ads uh, and having uh, conversations amongst themselves about it. Um, and, you know, to your point, you know, you, we've seen a demand, the demand fall off um, for, for the vaccines without that big public health push, um, you know, the, the mandate. Um, and, um, you know, I think it's we see it in the in the in the RX data. You know, we all we get that, you know, pres weekly prescribing data uh, from IQVIA. Um, and you can see um, the, the, the trail off. And so uh, this is where marketing comes into play. You know, before the drugs had approval, um, certainly we couldn't really talk about marketing. It, it wasn't really germane to the conversation. Then they got approval, but, you know, the, the, the mandates were still underway. Uh, now, you know, you have, you have both in, in play. You know, you have these, these are brands uh, and, um, you know, the marketer's skill, you know, in, is coming into play more. Uh, so the Kate Cronin's of the world, the, the chief brand officer, Officers of these companies, it'll be it'll be something to really to, to witness to to see how effective marketing can be in stimulating you know public health demand for these shots. Where you know again the the, the trail off in the demand shows that people are making their own decisions about these, and a lot of people are probably are erring on the side of well you know I'm, I'm not elderly, I'm not immunocompromised, you know, and um, I, I, I I've maybe I've got natural immunity, you know, as uh, as I think um, Mr. Rogers was alluding to there in 2021 um, and, and, and probably 
uh, making decisions to, to forgo the shot. We'll, we'll see, you know, how effective, again, the, the campaigns can be in, in turning that around. And it is interesting, too, because for as much as Rogers has complained about this newfound villain status or his public reputation, I'm sure there are plenty of people that are you know, critical of him for not getting the shot or you know, his attitude or what have you. You know, he still remains one of the most popular players in the NFL. So I'm wondering how this controversy plays into that as well. I look forward to asking you know, Kate about that when we have our interview in terms of you know, what does it mean when one of the biggest stars and one of the biggest sports in the country comes out and basically criticizes your company openly. How do you respond from a branding perspective? How do you respond from a marketing perspective where obviously you don't want to you know, necessarily lash back at them? I don't know if you come from an educational perspective. It's, it's an interesting quandary that you find yourself in from a marketing perspective. He's got to be seen as a thorn in their side, you know, when they're sitting around the boardroom table and talking about the impact that one influencer can have on a lot of, you know, good um, communications and, and, and promotional efforts. Uh, he, he can frankly undermine a lot of that. Uh, so, um, they'll probably, probably wise for them to try to, um, you know, go to some of those same venues and try to get their messaging in there. So at least people can make an informed decision, you know, and not let any one voice kind of, um, take over the conversation. I can tell you who I hope he's not a thorn in the side for. It's the new England Patriots. That's it for this week. The MMM podcast is produced by Bill Fitzpatrick, Gordon Failer, Lesha Bushak, and Jack O'Brien. Our theme music is by Sizzy M. Sohn. Rate, review, and follow every episode wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes out every week. And be sure to check out our website, mmm-online.com, for the top news stories in pharma marketing. <laughs>